Hi, and thank you for tuning in to the Fireside Church Podcast. Fireside is a new church on the North Shore of Massachusetts. Our mission is to love God, love others, and help others do the same. For more information, check us out at firesidechurch.org. Christmas, and there is a lot to be thankful for. There is a lot to be joyful for. You know, today actually marks the year anniversary of Fireside. You can clap. That's a, that's a good, thankful celebration. And we, we've been visioning this for many years, and we've been meeting with people and getting to know each other. And then a year ago, uh, the first Advent Sunday of last year was when we formally kind of publicly, you know, uh, became a church. And so we are just so thankful for all of you guys because you, it, without you, we have no church. The church is you. And so we are thankful for what God has done. And we are thankful for what God is doing and what he will do. We're also thankful personally. You know, last week we found out that um, Ellie, since her relapse, has for the first time had clear scans. And so they could not see any cancer. And so we are so thankful for that. Um, We will keep doing treatment to get anything that was unseen. So tomorrow we will be headed back for another week. And we appreciate your prayers for that. But... We are thankful to be here today and celebrating the Christmas season. And if you didn't catch the video, this week is Fireside Table Week. So we would hope that all you guys find a home and on Monday or Tuesday or Thursday or Friday that you can find a place just to connect and to uh, discuss and to pray. And that starts tomorrow night at the Fitzgerald's home in uh, Newburyport, and then it continues. And so we'll be sending out some information. But we hope that you all get connected because that's some of the best relationships that have happened here have been formed there. I don't know about you, but Sundays are so crazy, and it's just kind of like a hi-bye, how are you doing, Merry Christmas, Happy Thanksgiving, and you just can't really go deeper than that because of time and all the chaos. So this is that time to do that. But this is our first Christmas Advent, Christmas of 2019, and I love Christmas. I am a Christmas guy, and I think my daughter Ellie has caught that bug too, and she wants to just indulge in everything that's tradition, everything that's Christmas, and so we are excited with what God is doing. So we have a carol night setting up. We have a pageant on the 22nd. Uh, We have a kids' Christmas on the 15th, and so we are going to take advantage of Christmas here at Fireside and celebrate. But today we are going to talk about God's promised plan. We're going to talk about the promise in the next four weeks, God's promised plan in Jesus Christ coming to this world. And we're going to look at the Old Testament and how that all points to Jesus. We got this little kid's book that Kate got for our kids at the end of Christmas last year. And the first line said, Christmas did not start with a baby. It started with a promise. And I think we forget that sometimes this was a planned thing. That it wasn't out of desperation, that it was a planned thing. And I don't know about you, but the plans that I have for myself have a way of not going as planned. Have you been there? 
You know, so many times I say, hey, Kay, why don't you take a nap? I'm going to take the kids out, and we're going to go get dinner, and we're going to do this fun thing, and it'll be all good. And we come back hours later, and all our kids are wearing different clothes because either they messed themselves or they got dirty. They have fast food in, in, in bags, and they're coming in. And Kay's like, what happened? That was the plan. And I'll say, it wasn't the plan, and I don't want to talk about it. You know, you, you, you've been there, and you could all in, in, insert some story that didn't go as planned in your life. I, and I love talking with high school students, and, and, and I remember specifically talking to one high school student years ago, and saying, hey, so what do you want to do after call? What do you want to do after high school? And they said, well, here's my plan. And so I was like, okay, so I'm going to go to this school. Then I'm going to get this job, and around 25, I'm going to get married, and 28, I'm going to have a kid. It will be a girl, and we will name her Ashley. And I remember thinking, that's your plan? And she's like, yep. And my response was, good luck. <laughs> because as you know, things don't go out as planned. If you look back at your life, whether you're in high school, whether you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, you look back and you say, you know what? Things in my life did not go as planned. For me, I thought I was going to have a multi-million dollar video production company by the age of 30. I am 39, that does not exist anymore, and I'm a pastor. This was not my plan. And you probably have similar things. I would ask, what did you go to school for? The statistics of those who went to school for something and doing what they went to go to school for are like over 50%, that they're not doing what they plan to do. And what I want to encourage you is that necessarily is not a bad thing because that is your plan, but we are going to be talking about God's plan. Because sometimes God's plan does not always align with our plan. And the Old Testament all points to Jesus. And so many times we read the Old Testament and we kind of skip over the genealogies. We skip over some of the laws and we just don't understand it. But it, there is a process to it. There is a plan and it's pointing to Jesus. In fact, the New Testament after Jesus, the Old Testament is referenced 283 times. Because what they were trying to say was, no, see, everything that Jesus did and Jesus is doing was a planned thing. And if you look back at the Old Testament and the scriptures, you would see the fulfillments and you would see the prophecies. That's why when you open up Matthew chapter 1, it starts with a genealogy. And most of you say, you know, I just want to get to the good stuff. I just want to get to Mary, you know, and Joseph, and a manger, and the angels, and hark the hand, and, and so you miss that. But that is so important, because what Matthew is saying is that this was a plan. And he starts from Abraham. Abraham was the first Jew. Abraham was who God called out to be God's people. And he takes Abraham all the way to David, King David, which we talked about this fall. And then David all the way to Joseph and then Jesus. Saying, because David was the promised descendant of Jesus. That David, that Jesus, the Savior, is going to come through David. It was the plan. But then you look at Luke Chapter 3, and you have another genealogy, and when it gets to David, David all the way to Jesus, it's completely different. And so a lot of, you know, skeptics will say, see, look, the Bible is inconsistent. But if you look deeper, and what I believe and what many scholars believe is that what Luke is doing is he's doing the genealogy of Mary. And Matthew's doing the genealogy of Joseph. And the reason is because both point back to David. And so whether you could look at Jesus' physical mom 
or his legal father in Joseph, it all goes back to David because there's three prophecies that say the Savior is going to come from David. So right off the bat, they said, this was the plan. The Savior was going to come from David, and it did come from David. In fact, there are anywhere between 55 to 500 prophecies of Jesus Christ. It's a big gap, and I understand that. And the reason why it's a big gap, because some scholars will kind of go deeper and kind of say there's some, like, cryptic things that now we can point back to Jesus. I took a class at seminary that was called Jesus in the Old Testament, and my professor said, without a doubt, there's 65 direct prophecies that before Jesus came that prophesied Jesus and what he would do on this earth. There is a uh, professor of mathematics and astronomy at a college of uh, Pasadena, and he looked at eight prophecies. He only took eight. And he gathered some students, and they used their mathematic equations and all this stuff that I really have no understanding of. And he said this. He said, for one man to fulfill just these eight, let alone the 55, the 65, the, how many you would want to equate, but just eight, it would be like taking the state of Texas and filling the state of Texas up with silver corns that reached about two feet high. Texas, two feet high of silver coins, and putting a message on one and putting it somewhere in Texas, then blindfolding someone with transportation and say, go anywhere in the state, pick out one coin, and the chances of him picking out that coin are the chances of one man fulfilling eight prophecies of the Old Testament. If you're a math person, it is one to the 10 to the 17th power. That's a big number. So, it was a plan. And it was not a plan that they were um, unaware of. When Jesus came, they were expecting a Messiah, a Messiah translated as our Savior. They were expecting that. They were expecting that there would be a Messiah that would come from David. They were expecting that he would be born in Bethlehem. And we know that when the three magi and the three kings came, you know, they came to Jerusalem thinking that a king would have to be born in a city. And they said, well, where's the king of Jews? And they said, well, let's look at the scripture. And they look at Micah 5, 2 and say, you know what? He said that he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So off they go. Then we see this in, in John chapter 6, verse 14, and they begin to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world after they saw Jesus performing these miracles. They were expecting a Messiah. Then John the Baptist, who prophesied, they prophesied that there will be a man that will come before the Messiah, and he will pave the way, and John the Baptist was that man. He baptizes Jesus he gets arrested, and right before he gets beheaded, he's trying to figure out, well, was Jesus the one we've been expecting? And he says this in Luke chapter 7, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? They're expecting a Messiah. And this is what Jesus said. They said, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So we replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are, are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And what Jesus, he could have just said, yes, 
Yes, I am the one. But instead, he quotes Isaiah 35 and 61 and says, tell him that what he knows in the scriptures that will be prophesied by the Savior is actually happening right now. And my guess is John the Baptist heard that and was convinced. Boom. He is the one we've been expecting. Jesus was a planned process. And it started back in Genesis. And because I think so many times we have an issue with our Savior because some of us may not feel like you're saved right now. In a world that's filled with so much suffering and hardship and trouble, we say, well, where is God and why doesn't he save me from this? In fact, when suffering and hardship and sin entered the world in the very beginning, when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God, Jesus tells the enemy, Satan himself, he says this in chapter 3, verse 15. He, meaning Jesus, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And as soon as suffering and hardship enters the world, the plan is in place. I see your trouble, I see your suffering, and I've got a plan, and the plan is good. And it's a promise. That you will crucify Jesus by striking him on the heel, but his resurrection will crush you on the head. And you, the enemy, will be defeated. And the whole Old Testament is the story of Jesus. The whole Old Testament is the lineage of Jesus and what God is doing in the family of Jesus and what God is doing in God's people. God was doing other things, and we know that. Jonah goes to Nineveh. If you read Jonah and the whale, he goes to Nineveh and he proclaims the good news. And a whole city becomes God-fears. But you don't hear anything about that city after that because they are kind of a side note to what God is doing with his plan of Jesus. You hear about all these other prophets in all these other cities, and you think, well, what about that guy? Why don't we know more about him? It's like, no, no, I want you to be focused on God's plan that the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. And so you have these stories of these kings, and you have these stories of these prophets that are all paving the way for the plan, the promise of Jesus to come. And we see that in Matthew 5, verse 17, when we look at the law, and Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come to fulfill them. And what he's saying is that there was a law in place. And the law pointed to Jesus. The law was temporary. And Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. That this was a placement to point you to the promise that was planned. The sacrificial system. When was the last time you sacrificed an animal? Because Jesus was the sacrifice, and all the sacrifices before in the law were to point and to show the value of sacrifice. So when Jesus sacrificed, they already had an understanding. Oh, this, this is the plan. And you look through the Old Testament, and you see all these numbers, number 7, number 14, number 40, and it all comes back to this was all a planned thing. Jeremiah says this in chapter 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. That there's going to be a new covenant. There's going to be a new agreement that the old is gone and the new has come. And Jesus is that plan. All this stuff in the Old Testament is temporary until Jesus comes. So I ask myself this, and maybe you ask yourself this. 
why didn't the disciples get it? Why didn't the people see, oh, Jesus is doing exactly what all the Old Testament prophets said he would do? Why are they shocked when in three days after crucifixion he raises from the dead? Why are they shocked when he gets crucified to begin with? Why are they shocked when he gets persecuted? Why are they shocked when he fulfills all these prophecies? And I believe this, is that they get stuck in the moment. That they get so caught up in the moment of what they perceive Jesus to be doing that they kind of forget the reason Jesus came to the first place. That it's hard to see the big picture, the big plan, when you're in the moment. You know, when you have a, a newborn and people will say, you know, oh, I enjoy this, they're going to grow up and it's going to be great. And I'm like, yeah, but right now we're not sleeping. We're stuck in the moment. And it's hard. And these are where the disciples are. They're stuck in the moment. A couple of years ago in the Super Bowl, and, and I'll say this is the greatest Super Bowl ever, and you can debate me on it, but I will win. The Patriots are playing the Falcons. And they're down 28-3. And everyone thought that all hope was lost. And I was getting texts from Kate's family who are all Ravens fans, and they're just, like, so excited because everyone hates the Patriots except for New Englanders. And they're like, oh, good luck. And, and I say, like, not really believing my text, I said, they're just setting up for the greatest comeback ever. I'm like, oh, I hope that's true. But you hear stories of people who actually left the game. They left the game because they're like, oh, it's hopeless. It's never going to happen. They got stuck in the moment, and they saw that they – were a losing team and they wanted to beat traffic, but then all of a sudden they start coming back. And then they go into overtime. And then they win. And there's victory. And you look back and you can say that was the greatest game ever. That was awesome. But in the moment, my fingernails went to the blood. Because <laughs> I was so nervous and I was stuck in the moment like, no, this is never, th there's no way. And I think so many of us are feeling like life has got us to a score of 28-3. So many of us thinking like, how can this be a plan? How can there be victory in my situation? And you get stuck in the moment. And what we need to realize that there is a plan in place. Because when we get stuck in the moment, oftentimes we get impatient and we start to do stupid things. When I was uh, leading a mission trip in DR, I was like 26 years old, and I was leading 40 adults on a mission trip. And we were living in this compound that had two bunk rooms, and it was surrounded by a 10-foot wall of concrete. And a typhoon came. And as the waters came, the, wa uh, the rain came, the water started to rise so much that it got all into our bottom bunks. And so these guys started freaking out. The thing that I was freaking out about is when the waters came, all the tarantulas started coming out of their homes. I'm not a spider guy. And so I'm there, and I remember sitting in a meeting and seeing tarantulas, and I'm like, this literally is like my hell. This is awful. And what happened was we were meeting, and we were saying, what do we need to do? And me and the organization um, uh, heads and some of the other key leaders, we said, you know what, we, we need to move. And someone said there's a Catholic place that will take us up the road that's dry. And so we had this plan in place. And as we're formulating this plan, I see these five guys, these five older men with shovels. And so I'm like, well, what are they up to? And I go, I'm like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, we're going to solve this situation. And I'm like, well, how are you going to do that? And like, we're going to dig a tunnel under the wall and release the water. This was their plan. 
And I was just about to say that plan is ridiculous when one of the Dominicans said, just, just let, them, let them go. Let them feel like they're trying to do something. So we go, and they are getting all muddy and wet, and they dug the hole, and they're all excited, and all that happened was a bubble, bloop, bloop, and that was it. Because they started getting panicky, and they got stuck in the moment, and they started to do things that really made no logical sense. And after they did it, say, hey, guys, here's the plan. We're going to go to a brand new place. It's awesome. It's got hot water. And they're like, okay, that sounds good. <laughs> because God has a plan, we need to be confident of it. And it will help us get out of the moment. In Jeremiah 29, 11, this is where we're going to stay for the rest of today, is that God's people had a nation of Israel. And he had kings in place, and they said, hey, if you follow me, I will protect you. If you follow me, there's a promise that will come from you. But if you disobey, I can't force you to follow my plan. And so they started disobeying, and the Babylonians came and conquered, and they took them back to Babylon. So here is this nation living away from home in exile. And they're all mourning the loss of their home country. And they're thinking, where is God in this? How could he have done such a thing? And Jeremiah says this, and this is a very famous verse. And we're going to unpack it for a little bit. And he says this, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for well-being and not for trouble, to give you a future and a hope. Now, the second part was specifically for them. But the first part I did want to highlight, for I know the plans I have for you, which is, implies, which a pastor down south kind of, uh, I saw him on Instagram a couple weeks ago, said, because God says, I have the plans, he's, he's implying that you don't. He's not saying, you have the plans, your plan's good, why don't you go with it? No, he's saying, I have plans for you, declares the Lord. And God has a plan for each and one of you. God declares that he has a plan for you, and that plan is good. And I wish we could take the second part when he says for, for you to be prosperous and have a future. And that was specific not to the people he was talking to, but for their next generation. And, and this generation is like, well, what about us? Well, we want to be prosperous. We want to have hope. We want to have a future. And this is what he said before in verse 7. He says, here, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. This was part of the plan. He had given them peace and prosperity and foreign land. So he protected them. He gave them their needs while they were in exile. And I think the same happens for us. While you, if you're feeling like you're in exile right now, remember that God has a plan for you. And his plan is good. And his plan is not always your plan. And that's where we kind of come up to a hard part is when your plan and God's plan don't go together. But I want to do this and I'm going to do this and this is what we were supposed to do. And you find yourself in a new job, and you find yourself in a different relationship, and you find yourself in a different home, and you find yourself in a different major, and you find yourself at a different school, whatever it may be. And you say, well, this wasn't the plan. And I just want you to just kind of relax a little bit and say, you know what? It's not my plan. It's God's plan. God has a plan for all of us. 
I mean, I look at my life, and you can look at your life, and you could say, like, how in the world can this be part of God's plan? How can this happen? And I can't give you the answer to that, and all I can say is just be confident in the plan because God has proven to have his plans come to completion. And, and Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God does not do incomplete work. Many people think, well, I'm incomplete right now. Just trust that God is still doing a work in you. That God has a plan for you. God does not give up on you. He does not do incomplete work. And he, it may take him his whole life. It may take him until you see Jesus Christ again in heaven. But you will be completed if you trust in God's plan. As to call up Connor and Christine up to close us out, I just want to encourage you guys that in this Christmas season, we celebrate our Savior coming into the world. That, you know, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that this was the plan all along. That this was the promise. And we're going to be talking about the promise throughout this whole December. Next week, the promise being um, preserved, the promise being persecuted the following week, and the promise being proclaimed because Jesus is what the whole Bible is about. Jesus is what our whole faith is about. It all points to him. He was the plan. The Old Testament points to him. The New Testament is all about what he did and what he's doing. And he had a, God had a plan in place, and God has a plan in place for you. So when you hear Jeremiah say, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, he is talking specifically to you. I know the plans I have for you. They're not your plans, but they're my plans. Romans 8.28, for all things work out for the good of those who he's called to. That if you trust in God, whatever appears to be bad is a part of his plan that he can make good. He has a plan in place. And I love the Jesus, uh, the Christmas story, because it just kind of elevates that. It said no matter what happens, because people have a way of getting away of God's plan. But that doesn't stop God from carrying out his plan. Will you say yes to the plan that God has for you, or are you trying to fight it and trying to fit? No, no, this is my plan, this is my plan, this is my plan, this is my plan. Or you just submit and say, God, show me where you want me to go. God, show me what you want me to do. I submit to your plan, that, and I submit that it's good, and if you want me to do this, then I'll do it. If you want me to do that, then I'll do it. Give me confidence that your plan is better than mine. For I, the Lord, have a plan for you. Lord, we come in your presence, Lord. Some of us stuck in the moment feeling like we are got our cards stacked against us and we're just trying to figure out, Lord, how in the world is there victory in this, Lord? But you came and you conquered and you defied odds that we have victory in your name, Lord. And thank you for sending your Savior to save us. Thank you for showing us the blueprints. And Lord, we trust in the blueprints that you have in our life. And let us be confident of the plan that you have in store for us. And let us submit our plans and follow yours. And it's in your name we pray.